coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss COVID Lock, mobile coronavirus tracking app coughs up ransomware. Next up, son of a patch. Microsoft released the KB4551762 security update to combat SMBV3. And finally, our 12th round of Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 40, recorded on March 16th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. Welcome to the Pundemonium LaBelle. With me, co-host Chad, Chadimir Puntin, Anderson. And last but not least, Tarek, I haven't slept in days. Sal. <laughs> wow, a rowdy bunch today, for sure. It's been, it's a bit a little insane for a lot of reasons, and we're going to talk a bit about that in our episode today, but I just want to thank both of you for showing up remotely <laughs> for the podcast once again. Of course. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Hopefully there's uh, a sense of lack of stress being surrounded by our pets. It does help because I know Tarek has an adorable dog, Roland. Is Roland with you, Tarek, for this episode? He is. He's over here in the corner uh, listening to some smooth jazz and snoring, which, I mean, I'm sure we all want to be on that level right now. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Roland is mocking you. (laughs) (laughs) He is. He's giving me the side eye. Just He knows I want what he has right now. Exactly. Which, speaking of, uh, Chad and Tarek have been doing some fantastic research here over the past three or four days, hence their lack of sleep. Um, and the title of our first article, we're actually going to talk about the research that they have just published um, here on Monday and Friday. COVID Lock, mobile coronavirus tracking app, coughs up ransomware, a.k.a. the reason Tarek and Chad have gotten no sleep. So we've talked quite a bit about cyber criminals' affinity for exploiting people when they are their most vulnerable. Um, and we've talked about this several times. So this is no exception. And Tarek and Chad have done some research into how cyber criminals are taking advantage of anxiety around the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm just going to ask them a little bit about the research that they talked about. This is, of course, linked in the podcast, so you can take a look at all the work they've done here. But for starters, Chad, I know you've been monitoring COVID and coronavirus domain registration for a while now. So what have you been seeing generally in terms of trends surrounding this world event, let's call it? Yeah, it's wild, the sheer number of domains for coronavirus scams. A lot of it's just trying to get, you know, uh, people to purchase masks that don't exist or hand sanitizer or whatever. It's anyone who can capitalize on that right now. And I I monitor a lot of the usual labels that everyone else does, the SharePoint, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon. Anytime there's a new domain registration, I take a peek because usually it ends up being a phishing scam of some kind and um, it's tied to some other campaign that I'm monitoring. But uh, those are the constant scams that are going all the time. Uh, When the uptick in coronavirus domains started, it was kind of overwhelming. I went from seeing a few a day to suddenly hundreds so now we're in the thousands plus range i saw i think i saw almost like five thousand registered this morning so camera scammers are hopping in uh on this left and right and just trying to earn a buck and amongst those hundreds and potentially thousands of domains that you were scoping one key domain you came across uh, which is coronavirusapp.site is that correct yep Can you tell us a little bit about what you found when you started investigating this particular domain? 
Yeah, it stuck out to me immediately because what I do is I'll usually take a bunch of screenshots of these domains that I see and like scroll through them super fast since the human eye is really good at that. Um, and it's really hard to make a tool that's as effective as the human brain. But uh, so what I noticed right away, though, was that um, this site was basically hijacking a um, cool page that I saw an indie developer named Etch had posted on Reddit. Um, it was at infection2020.com and he had been polling all of the USA um, data and putting it into one place. So this malicious page, this coronavirus app.site was loading that page into an iframe and then inserting at the top this, oh, do you want to stay informed all the time? Download this Android app um, and give it all these permissions, you know, administrator privileges and all this. Um, so the moment I saw that I was like, oh, this is malicious, and I sent it over to Tarek because he's the you know malware magician um, in house. Oh, I like that title. Yeah, house <laughs> malware magician. The war is uh, the, the wait. The where's wizard? The um... <laughs> <laughs> I like that too. Yeah. <laughs> so Tarek, moving over to you after this site was identified and that it was deemed malicious by our, I guess, domain wizard. Um, <laughs> So, I'm dub curious. dub dub warlock, I'll take. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so, after Chad handed it off to you, Tarek, you did some reverse engineering in the malware. So, can you walk us through what you found during your reversing? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, it, this one was. Um, it's been it's been a hot minute since I've actually had to do some Android uh, reversing. So. Uh, immediately, I uh, it was a lot like uh, riding a bicycle if you haven't in a long time. Uh, so had to dust off my Java skills, and uh, so I start off with uh, decompiling the APK um, and converting it over into like a human readable code um, over in Java. Um, so I began doing some static code analysis. Um, one of the first things I always look for when I'm analyzing any kind of Android malware is looking at the uh, manifest file and kind of like what Chad talked about. Um, what you could see from the permissions of the Android manifest is um, what this application is essentially doing is requesting uh, admin rights. Um, and we talk a little, I, we talk a little bit more about this in depth on the blog, but it's essentially requesting admin rights to um, your mobile device, your Android device, which was, uh, you know, a huge warning flag. Um, but it does it in a kind of a dynamic means. It doesn't ask for your permissions uh, right out of the gate, it requires some user interaction with the APK uh, before it goes and asks for those permissions. Um, so that being said, um, some other really interesting things when taking a look at the uh, static, uh, we're doing static code analysis, is um, this APK did not exhibit uh, behavior of traditional ransomware, which we're used to hearing about, which is, you know, your files are encrypted with an attacker-controlled key, um, and then you pay your ransom, et cetera. What this one was, and uh, turns out this is a little bit more common in the Android malware space, this is screen locking malware. So the, the overall uh, execution flow is uh, you have somebody who falls victim to uh, downloading this coronavirus application. Um, and it's actually, I mean, it's a very pretty looking application too. So they download this application and then after execution and granting of admin rights, the device will go ahead and lock out um, and reset the pin for your uh, phone. So that was really interesting. After I did some static code analysis, I wanted to go ahead and do dynamic analysis, which is really like, how does this malware operate on a behavior level? Now, I did this strictly under the lens of just on a network level, I because we kind of already understood through static analysis how this malware operates 
Um, so I didn't really need to dive into how it interacts with the file system. Uh, you would do that for traditional ransomware, but not in this case. Uh, so I sent some. I found some really uh, interesting data here. Did see some uh, really interesting lookups on Pastebin. So after digging into the URLs, kind of extracted those from the static code as well as uh, behaviorally. Notice that the um, ransomware notes themselves with the Bitcoin wallet. Those are partially dynamically generated from these Pastebin URLs. So that was pretty interesting. But uh, the attacker uh, or the COVID lock author did this, um, which is interesting because there's some sophisticated stuff combined with some really unsophisticated stuff on how this is authored. But you know, a lot of um, evasion techniques rely on keyword analysis, uh, especially with ransomware notes. And so uh, this is one way that the COVID lock author can bypass some detections is uh, having dynamically generated uh, ransomware notes. So that was really interesting. I like to imagine going way back to your static analysis comment around requesting permissions. I like to think of it as if we were in the medieval era and this like man dressed as a jester walks in and is bowing and sort of curtsying in front of the king and being like, I humbly request permission to your admin. That's what I imagine that feeling like, um, which seems a lot more trivial and less painful than the reality of, of what actually happens there. But thank you for deep diving into that, Tark. That's great. And I would highly recommend checking out that blog post because there are many images that will help contextualize and enrich what Tarek just explained, which is really nice. Um, and going back to something you had mentioned towards the end there of your discussion around dynamic analysis, I'm curious if any particular artifacts caught your eye in that process. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the um, one of the goals when you're doing any type of malware analysis or reverse engineering on uh, anything that's a ransomware, one of the goals for that is to find a decryption key. So if you have the ability to uh, reverse engineer the algorithm that's used to generate a key or to um, you know, de-obfuscate an embedded key, uh, that's a big win. Uh, in this case, the um, I think COVID Lock's author was um, likely in a rush to be able to uh, produce the malware because they left the key in the clear um, as part of their conditional logic for the malware itself. So providing a, a decryption key and uh, uh, to the public was uh, pretty trivial to do. Um, so I was really surprised that on one hand you have dynamically generated ransomware notes, but on the other hand, there's a lot of uh, lack of sophistication around the decryption key. So, you know, if I were writing malware, I wouldn't do it this way at all if I want to be effective. Um, but then again, you know, uh, one thing to keep in mind is that just because it isn't APT sophisticated doesn't mean it's not effective. Um, Cobalock is still uh, an effective ransomware for uh, Android devices. A fantastic point. And I'm curious, too, speaking of its effectiveness, I know you're able to find both the ransom note and the Bitcoin wallet. Did these provide you with any additional information in terms of do we know if people have been victimized at this point? Yeah, you know, so as of today, uh, we're tracking the uh, Bitcoin wallet um, ID and looking for any updated transactions. But as of today, uh, there has been zero transaction history on that Bitcoin wallet. That being said, that doesn't imply that we don't have victims. Uh, all that implies is that we have um, zero ransoms that have been paid out to that Bitcoin wallet. So uh, there could be individuals that... Um, uh, decided to just re-wipe their phone um, or take their phone in for support to 
have some sort of support uh, done on it, um, maybe to rewipe it, or um, we or the um, the COVID lock author hasn't uh, decided to spread the uh, malware um, effectively yet. Um, so there's a lot of conclusions we can come to from that, but overall, we don't have any victims uh, that have paid out as of today. Maybe victims are misunderstanding the need to wipe your phone in terms of, you know, with some UV light or some alcohol-based liquids with, you know, <laughs> letting, you know, threat actors wipe your phone. So maybe they think they're, they're, they're keeping safe and clean. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but either way, you can see actually the uh, decryption key is in the clear and we have that on our blog. So if you do come across anybody that's been victimized by COVID ransomware, we do have the ability to make sure that they get their um, their phone back to its normal working shape, which is great. So I'm curious, Tark and Chad, I'd love to pick your brain on your thoughts on who potentially is responsible for this. Do we have any information around attribution at this time? I think Chad can uh, go ahead and run with this one. He was uh, pretty heavy involved on the infrastructure and attribution side. Yeah, attribution. If you that's will. kind of the yeah, that's kind of the one-two punch that Tark and I do. I do look at so much infrastructure, and he can crush through some malware. But um, so yeah, I, I uh, you know I looked through a bunch of the information, and it didn't really tie to anything immediately. But then there was an SSL certificate to some other domains. Um, on the SSL certificate, there was another domain listed um, that ended up spidering out to a ton of dating and sex scams. Um, those pages also serve up the app. Um, so they're on the same server. And um, apparently, they, uh, you know, they used a Let's Encrypt certificate, and they um, made it for multiple sites. So um, that just, that kind of gave away that um, that was also the same actor, you know? Um, and those tie to a registrant that claims to be someone in Morocco, but we all know how dicey who his information can be. So um, assuming it's accurate, then uh, they <laughs> they messed up. Uh, it's pretty bad OPSEC. <laughs> so considering your findings there, Chad, and I would like to hear both your thoughts on this, Chad Tark. How concerning are these sites uh, just in general playing off this widespread panic and fear that we're seeing? Uh, it's, it's such an absolute mess. Um, you know, I, there's this problem of the fear of the unknown here, and that's so easy to leverage with people. And so many of these phishing scams that we're already seeing are going after um, people who are about to lose or well, they, they claim they're going to lose their benefits, you know, so you take the most vulnerable chunk of the population that relies on this social safety net, perhaps, and then tell them that they're going to lose their benefits if they don't open this malicious document or something. Um, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's super concerning. And, and it's, it's all that anyone's talking about, you know, if you do leave your house to go and talk to anyone, it's all that you hear about the whole, you know, this is the whole this is the first time I think in, you know, that in my lifetime that I can think the whole world psyche is tuned into one thing. You know, it's, it's, you know, sometimes a disaster happens in one part of the world or the other and people think about it, but this is the entire planet is fearful of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I think it's extremely concerning. Um, you know, there are, uh, you know, victims out there that I think, especially now when you look at, COVID lock targets Android users and, um, you know, Android has a large consumer base that has, you know, um, cheaper phones available. So one can make a conclusion that Android is just a lot more economic and um, there might be, it, it might be in use more by low income people. 
Um, and so what I'm trying to get at is that this COVID lock ransomware specifically targets you know, low-income people that are reliant on their mobile device during a time when everybody is trying to be connected. I, I just think this is extremely concerning. And, um, you know, this is uh, something we should all uh, kind of just be aware of. Um, we just have a major heightened increase in scam attacks and um, even malware attacks based around COVID right now. So pretty scary stuff. I've changed my personal goals from just social distancing to ransomware distancing. That's also on the top of my to-do list after this research came out. Um, well, I'd like to hear then your hoodie ratings after discussing the impact there. And just as a quick reminder to our listeners, or if you're tuning in for the first time, our hoodie ratings are on a scale of 0 to 10, uh, just playing off the cliched hoodied hacker, if you will. Um, and so 10 is sort of max concern, all hands on deck, and 0 is you know, potentially a funny anecdote that you're sharing um, on Slack these days, not around the water cooler. So, uh, Chad, I'll start with you. What would you rate this at? Yeah, you know, um, I would probably rate it at a, I don't know, I'd say a 6 out of 10, just because no one has fallen for it yet. And I, I think that we got out ahead of this so soon that it was before they could run a really big phishing campaign for it. Like looking into this actor's past work, they a lot of what they do is um, post spam to to Reddit and other forums um, and try and drive uh, people to their site that way to download the app. So I think we we might actually kind of nip this one in the butt a little bit, and that's why we haven't seen so many um, uh, or seen any transactions on the Bitcoin wallet. So I'd, I'd go with six out of ten because of that. Um, yeah, and I'm going to mirror you on that one, too. I think this is definitely a 6 out of 10. I mean, we have uh, a piece of ransomware that doesn't use exploit code, um, and it's you know specific to one operating system at this time. Um, we haven't seen anything in the wild to indicate how disseminated the uh, website is um, that is serving out this APK. Um, so... You know, with all those things being said, um, and we do have zero victims that have paid the ransomware, I'd give this thing a solid six out of 10. Perfect. Thank you both so much for your thoughts and for this in-depth research that you have done on your end. And so we don't spend our entire mind space focused on COVID-19 and coronavirus. Let's pivot over to our next article, which is Son of a Patch. So Microsoft released the KB4551762 right down this number, everyone. Uh, <laughs> security update to patch the pre-auth RCE Windows 10 vulnerability found in Microsoft Server Message Block 3.1.1, aka SMB v3. So two days after details regarding the flaw were leaked as a part of the March 2020 patch Tuesday. So Tarek, let's start with the basics. What do these vulnerabilities entail uh, that are associated with this particular security update? Yeah, so in this case, we have uh, Microsoft that released uh, an advisory uh, letting everybody know about a vulnerability in SMB v3, uh, specifically in the uh, compression side of the protocol. Um, the scary thing is, is that this is extremely reminiscent to uh, Eternal Blue, which uh, I think we all kind of have PTSD flashbacks from. Um, uh, this is very similar in the sense that we have an unauthenticated SMB client that... Um, uh, can allow a remote code execution in addition to the vulnerability or the exploit in this case being uh, wormable. So this is a this is a really bad one. Um, this affects uh, Windows 10 and Win uh, Windows Server um, that is fully patched. 
Um, what was really interesting too is that um, although a patch, um, uh, we have uh, no evidence of exploit code being in the wild with this one. Uh, there are some security uh, organizations like Cryptos Logic. Um, they were able to recreate a proof of concept of the exploit itself doing a denial of service attack uh, without even having a patch release to reverse engineer. Um, so what that really tells us is how trivial this exploit is to find and how trivial it is to um, you know, write an exploit for. So I personally wouldn't be surprised if we see this um, being weaponized in a public released exploit code very soon. Oof. Well, speaking of the patch, Chad, how can this the security update be installed? Typical Microsoft updates. Um, if you're using automatic automatic updates, and you should be using automatic updates, you should be taken care of already. Um, if you're not doing automatic updates, you should go turn on automatic updates and also run your updates. Chad, so, so should people be using automatic updates? I absolutely automatic <laughs> updates, and they should also run updates. Um, you know, right automatically. Now. Yeah, automatically. <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> yeah, when it says you need to restart your computer, just just save and restart your computer. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chad, I'd love to get into some of the juicy stuff. What can you tell me about the recent news of the wormable pre-auth RCE vulnerability side of this fun fun vulnerability? Yeah, so Tarek, you know, went over a lot of it already, but this one's interesting because it goes both ways from what it reads. It sounds like that specially crafted packet um, causes a, um, a buffer overflow on either the server or the client that then allows them to execute code. And it's something with the compression um, bit. So it's very reminiscent of not pet you and want to cry leveraging eternal blue. I'll also add in another um, another dark time in my career with shell shock. Um, so, uh, you know, there's always crazy um, uh, vulnerabilities every couple of years. But um, this one looks to be, yeah, pretty, pretty bad. And um, the only way to really mitigate it right now is to disable compression um, is what it looks like from Microsoft that they recommended. So it's marked as being highly exploitable um, and it's likely to be exploited as it is wormable, meaning, you know, as we said, it can move between hosts easily on its own. I feel like I'd like to rename buffer overflow to buffer runneth over. Do you think we could get permissions to do that? Mm. I think that would be... I, I think so. I think you need to bring in this whole medieval court gesture thing again, though. <laughs> It's really on my mind. Maybe it's yeah. all the time inside. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I expect you when we do all come back into the office to have one of those big jester hats with the bells on the end of each. Uh, each. What do you think I'm wearing right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Chad, I'm sorry. SMB V3 has been so triggering for you. I think it's bringing up a lot of uh, PTSD for both you and Tarek around <laughs> similar vulnerabilities. Um, and we've already talked about how or if this vulnerability has been exploited in the wild. But I'm curious, Tarek, what devices does this vulnerability impact? Yeah, you know, the scary thing is when you hear about these type of vulnerabilities come out, um, they're always very concerning. Um, you know, oftentimes we see vulnerabilities get released on more legacy uh, operating systems like, hey, somebody found a vulnerability in Windows 7. And, you know, that is concerning because Windows 7 is still really in use. But you know, generally speaking, businesses are kind of ahead of the upgrade cycle and, you know, they're all on Windows 10. Uh, that being said, this vulnerability affects Windows 10, the latest versions, as well as the latest versions of Windows Server. So that dramatically increases like the impact of this uh, vulnerability. 
Yes, and I guess the probably the last thing we should discuss here is what exactly organizations should do to mitigate, and this might be fairly obvious, but let's just say it for the sake of repetition. Tarek, what should we do? <laughs> so Chad already hinted on this, but patch. <laughs> Uh, that's, when that's should we do much, it? <laughs> yeah, right? Automatically patch. If you have uh, WSS servers, um, highly recommend getting your uh, GPOs uh, for all of your Windows devices configured. So they're pointing to your WSS servers and they can automatically download patches uh, and updates to mitigate against this. Um, if for some reason you can't apply a patch, um, then Chad already mentioned too, disabling SMB v3 compression will... Um, you know, because the uh, exploit uh, takes advantage of a vulnerability in the uh, compression function um, for that API call. Uh, so that'll take care of that. Perfect. And let's get into the hoodie rating then. So, Chad, I'll start with you. What would you rate this vulnerability at? Oh, 10 out of 10. Yeah, the moment that a public exploit drops for this, it's going to be mayhem. Um, I mean, not absolute mayhem because everyone's at home right now. Uh, but uh, it may be pandemonium, you know. <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to give this one a 9 out of 10, um, but it will be a 10 out of 10 the second that public code is, or that uh, exploit, code is, uh, exploit code is publicly released. Um, once we see this thing in a Metasploit module, that's going to be um, extremely concerning because, as we know, um, you know, we, we still, like, globally are affected by um, the Eternal Blue exploit. There are still thousands of unpatched systems out there that are publicly facing, let alone what's available on the internal side of the house. So if, you know, the trends in how people are patching and uh, doing security hygiene are there, um, then this is going to be a, a straight 10 out of 10 once the code gets publicly released. We should be very mindful. I mean, we're going to see, I think, the same types of patterns from WannaCry and not Petya. We're going to see ransomware and other... Um, you know, malware leveraging this as exploit uh, code. Um, so this is going to get real scary uh, once things go public. Good thing we're really in a good, solid place as a country and as a world, really safe. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to keep an eye on this. I saw a tweet go out that said, hmm, conspiracy, uh, coronavirus, SMB v3 vulnerability, and the elections all in one year? <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a it's an interesting time. But moving on, let's let's have a little bit of fun. Let's try to provide some levity while we're, uh, you know, our immune systems are trying to fight off anything <laughs> that could be veering our way. So let's play our game Two Truths and a Lie. So just to update folks who haven't played this game before, it is very similar to what you might expect. The game Two Truths and a Lie, except rather than talking about ourselves, we're going to talk, talk about three different article titles two of which are true and one of which is, as you guessed, a lie. So Tarek is this week's preparer of our three statements. And so he's going to try to trick Chad myself and Chad and I are going to try to see through his pain and guess the correct fake article title. All right. Let's do this. So let me just jump right into it. Uh, earlier last month, over 200,000 people downloaded a uh, Trojanized picture-taking application that was uploaded into the Google Play Store. That's the first one. Uh, the second one, Delaware's attorney general has filed lawsuit against Chipotle over the company's alleged failure to notify customers of a breach. And finally, Hanseeder distributed through coronavirus-themed mail spam. 
I think it's pronounced chipotle. I don't know what this chipotle is. First of oh, all, oh, chipotle. Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Gosh. So good. I'll do them uh, once more. We've got okay. two hundred thousand people downloaded a Trojanized picture-taking application in the from the Google Play Store. Delaware's attorney general has filed lawsuit against Chipotle over the their alleged failure to notify customers of a breach. And finally, Hand Cedar is, has been distributed through coronavirus-themed mal spam attacks. Hmm. Chad, would you like to guess first or second? Um, I'll I'll go first. I, you know, I am going to go with Chipotle this week because. I feel like once you have had that guac, you aren't going to sue, you know? That just, it just doesn't happen. You can't guac that back, you know what I'm Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. I think, I feel like the mal spam can we talked about a different mal spam campaign last week for COVID-19. So I'm going to go with that one to cover some of our bases here. Although, Alrighty. Tark might be my, all right, um, drum roll please. Kelsey, you are the winner. I know that (laughs) Chipotle is a nice carrot to dangle, but it was the Hen Cedar campaign. Yeah, good thing on Chipotle, they're now offering free delivery. So they, uh, you know, you can get it right to your house in in no time. Contactless free delivery. Yeah. Well, now I know this jester hat is lucky. Um, So I'm going to wear it every time we play Two Truths and a Lie. That's the reason I won. Uh, all right. Well, that's all we have for this week. Next week, we actually have a special episode with you all. So stay tuned for that. So we're going to bump off of our typical weekly discussion of topics and articles here. Uh, but I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Please stay safe out there. Please wash your hands and practice social distancing so we can get through this together. And we'll see you here next week with our special episode of Breaking Badness. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.